Welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast. We're here, episode seven, returning to you on a Friday night after a three-week break. Wanted to give some time for the NBA offseason to catch up a little bit. We're kind of in the dog days right now, but only about a month and a half out from the regular season beginning. I'm joined again by Jesus Escalera here in Lafayette, Indiana. Great to be back, Kevin. Glad to have you back. And Andy Berman joining us as well. Great to be back, Kev. We almost didn't get Jesus for tonight. Uh, a little mix-up with his class schedule, but narrowly got him back. And as promised, if you saw my tweet the other night, we do have a special guest with us tonight. Very excited about this. We have a co-host of the Backyard Banter podcast joining us, Tanner Starrett. How are we doing tonight? Doing great, fellas. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited. Uh, don't get to talk NBA a lot, so we'll see uh, how this goes with, uh, with you guys. I, I can't wait. This is going to be fun. How has the podcast been going for you guys so far? Really good. Um, we're just trying to stay consistent twice a week. Uh, late, late night record recording session uh, last night. Um, we were pretty tired, so we said some pretty dumb things. So <laughs> that'll be good and bad. So uh, we'll see. That'll come out tomorrow morning on Saturday. So, yeah, it's been going good. Uh, just doing it for fun i mean it's a lot of fun doing these so i'm sure you guys kind of feel the same way so absolutely i think we've struggled a bit with the consistency but i don't think that's something we really expected to have starting off in the off season i'm sure that'll come during the regular season and everything um it also is nice to just take a few weeks off to get uh to get back to school and be ready uh to transition again um in terms of the basketball world this morning we had two nba or i should say fiba semifinal games we had Canada fall to the Serbs, Bogdan Bogdanovic and Nikola Jovic leading the Serbs over Shea in Canada, who will play surprisingly Team USA in the bronze medal game after a Dennis Schroeder and Daniel Tice masterclass. Um, completely just did not have an answer for the Germans. Um, they continue to go at Austin Reeves, which we're going to talk about later. Um, but the first thing we want to talk about is some NBA offseason things that have happened. P.J. Washington, uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe just a week, he is back to Charlotte on a three-year, $48 million deal. I think that you know the annual money this year is going to be about $18 million instead of a $16 million. Um, if you saw the press conference a couple nights ago, you'd see P.J. talk about how him and his agent wanted to you know, get him back to Charlotte as fast as possible. Uh, yeah. And Charlotte's GM was not having it he immediately yeah. said you know that's not what your agent said that's not what was going on behind closed doors but he doubled down on it so that may be something to keep an eye on certainly charlotte not a a big contender um but he was a guy we've been monitoring all off season, wondering what's going to happen with him i think the general consensus was that he would be back in charlotte um but what's interesting is he could have taken an 8.5 million qualifying offer from charlotte to return, right? He had until October 1st to decide on that. And what that would have done is give him the chance to prove himself a little bit more this year, which with Brandon Miller coming in may have been difficult, uh, but it would have made him an unrestricted free agent next summer to try to get himself some more money than what he's making um, on this $48 million contract. Obviously he opted to go with the more guaranteed safe route for now. Um, but Andy, what are your general thoughts on Washington and the Hornets this year? Yeah, I, I think it was a no-brainer, in my opinion, for the Hornets. They kind of had to fill up the cap space, and 
on the Washington side, I think it's a more money than the qualifying offer, right? He got $16 million a year, if I'm mad, is correct? Yeah, which is that's right. Like double of the qualifying offer, so good for him as an agent for stringing it out and getting the money they wanted. But I think it's just like it's a good addition to the Charlotte because they needed him back. They really were missing a point forward, in my opinion, because they got the the ball, the Brandon Miller and the uh, Terry Rozier core now, and then they got they got I believe Mark Williams in the center. They need someone in the point forward position. They've kind of filled the gap, I think, with Washington. I think they did that pretty well. And, Tanner, the Charlotte Hornets may be, like, one of the Indiana Pacers' main competitors, you know, for the back end of the play-in tournament this year. I was talking to Andy about it last night. Like, you go through and you look this year, Chicago and Toronto snag those spots. With those aging stars, you know, losing a couple pieces, expect those two to take a step back. You know, Indy, Orlando, Charlotte, this could be their time. Uh, as a Pacers fan, you know what are your thoughts on Indiana in the back end of the play-in tournament and those teams that they might have to to jump? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the hope, you know, being optimistic is that they miss the play-in and are like a six seed. Um, but with such a young team, you just don't really, you know, fully expect that. Uh, it would be great if if we could beat out some of those teams like the Hornets and maybe catch, you know, maybe a team like the Heat struggles again in the regular season. We can finished ahead of them I don't think that happens but you know it'll be interesting for sure I think I think the Hornets um their issue necessarily hasn't been their young talent it's been their off the court issues and you know PJ Washington I feel like a little bit has been involved in that um so it'll be interesting to see if Charlotte can find find a young core that can that can stay out of trouble off the court and as a result play better you know together on the court Uh, I, I I do like bringing back P.J. Washington. I think he's a very solid player. Um, he was very good coming out of Kentucky. And, you know, I think it's a very good contract for the Hornets, too. I, I like how you mentioned the extra $2 million this year. Kind of, you know, in the NBA with the cap space, you're trying to save everything you can for the future, and that's $2 million less they have to spend after this year, which, you know, is kind of a big deal. So um, very excited for the Pacers. I, you, you know how I feel about Halliburton. and uh, I do, yeah. Bruce Brown, he, I mean, he, that guy's a dog. On and off the court, he's a dog. So <laughs> I, I'm in love with the Pacers, and we'll see, man. We'll see what the Hornets can do. So, <laughs> And I like it. I like I like what you mentioned there about that $2 million. It could come into play, certainly. With You know, you look at their team, there's a lot of wings. There's a lot of ball to go around, um, and a lot of people got to touch the ball. And you look at Gordon Hayward, he's getting older. Terry Rozier, extremely inefficient last season. Certainly expect him to take a jump in terms of efficiency. You know, he's going to see less defensive attention. But, you know, that $2 million, like, that's a minimum roster spot, right? And yeah. you look at a team like Charlotte, they're not going to be in the tax ever, you know. And you go out and you get a vet. Like, you see what the Rockets just did with Jeff Green. They went and snagged him from, from Denver. Um, and that may be a big, like, a big factor for them in developing guys like Brandon Miller, like P.J. Washington and Mark Williams and LaMelo, who are all, certainly still young um moving on a little bit the celtics also made a move um and not just made a move but they've still got some looming decisions hanging over them recently they signed zvi mikhailuk to a one-year minimum deal in the 2.3 million dollar range um and with two roster spots available at the time there were also murmurs about you know tj warren lamar stevens coming in for workouts so you know with Blake Griffin still being a free agent, a big locker room piece, 
you know, you're kind of wondering, like, is Blake going to come back and you're going to go get a guy? Certainly now with V. Mikhailuk coming in, um, I think Blake Griffin, you know, he may go somewhere else, whether it's back to L.A., whether it's somewhere, you know, he, where he can chase a title um, and contribute on, you know, random nights, you know, load management nights. Um, but for Z. Mikhailuk, his money is very interesting with the Celtics, and they tend to do this a lot with guys at the back end of the rotation. Um, he's got 200000 guaranteed, okay? And on a contract worth a little bit over $2 million, you know, you're wondering, like, he's already making the minimum. How is he guaranteed less than the minimum? Well, if he makes the opening night roster, that guaranteed number jumps up to about $1.2 million, and he'd get the rest of that million dollars um, guaranteed if he's still on the team in January um, and the Celtics want to give that to him. Um, as for the last roster spot, I want to talk to Jesus and Andy a little bit about this, and we'll get to you, Tanner, on TJ Warren, because I know you're familiar with him from Indy. Um, but for you two guys, who do you think between those two, Lamar Stevens and TJ Warren, would be more valuable to the Celtics, or if it's worth it for them to pass up on that and just bring back Blake Griffin? Jesus, you want to go? Or? Okay, I'll go. Um, I'd probably say Lamar Stevens. I'm pretty sure he's a solid defensive player, or am I wrong? He's a solid defender. Um, he struggled to shoot a little bit at the beginning of last year. Um, he he came in and started shooting well towards the end of the year, but unfortunately for him, he fell out of the rotation a little bit with injuries, um, and he was struggling on the defensive end at the end of the year. But he was solid, and he's a guy that's cheap, so I like him as well. I mean, yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd probably – I know what Tanner's going to say, but I'll just say it would be Warren for me because, I mean, he was not that good as he was with the Pacers. That one year, he was pretty good. I think he had like 20 points a game or something. I was, I think it was before the bubble season, but I think during the bubble, he just went off. I think he had like a, I don't remember correctly, but he had a 50-point game or something. He just had like, he just went off one game for us in the bubble. So he and We've never seen that back. from him since, actually. But... <laughs> But he can score pretty well, even though he's older and has had a lot of injuries. I think he'd be a better addition if they're looking for more scoring depth, I'd say. And Jesus, why do you like Stevens over Warren, if I could ask? Uh, just how Warren spent his minutes during the playoffs. He was he was really bad, so I, he, I feel like I see, in Phoenix. Yeah, I feel like I see more potential in Stevens compared to Warren, especially because he's younger, so. And Tanner, obviously, like, what could you say about T.J. Warren that would be more valuable than Lamar Stevens to the Celtics? Well, I, I actually was leaning the other way. I was with Jesus. I think Lamar Stevens is much more valuable than T.J. Warren. Wow. I think, I think the youth of Lamar Stevens, you know he's going to probably stay healthy and, and be able to contribute um, over the course of a full season. Uh, a way better chance True. than T.J. Warren. I mean, like Andy said, I mean, this isn't the summer of 2020. It's not the NBA bubble anymore. And uh, T.J. Warren, man, like, if you were to sign him, like, he would play in 20 games because he's always hurt. Like, he, he is the most injury-prone player in the league, even more than Kawhi. Like, he, he, he literally does not stay on the floor because he's always hurt. He's always got something wrong. I think Lamar Stevens is definitely the better addition. He's younger, and you never know. He's, st he's still only 26 years old. He, he could break out. You could get something out of him. You know, he could improve. So I, I definitely think Lamar Stevens is the much better option. I, I'm not a believer in T.J. Warren. I, while I absolutely loved him as a pacer, he never played, and 
when he did play, he was a dog. But that that's not that that was you know three four years ago. It's not the same T.J. Warren. So I like Lamar Stevens better. It's a very valid point, especially when you're talking about the Celtics, who have their share of very injury prone individuals between Rob Williams and Kristaps Porzingis. Um, and I think you hit right on it with the poll um, that the Celtics are kind of struggling with between that those two players, um, Stevens being younger, more available. Um, and if you're trying to get a guy who you know could break out, which a guy on that contract, certainly it will be the minimum. Getting a guy on that contract could be extremely valuable with the new CBA. And the Celtics, who look to be a second apron tax team you know, in the near future with these extensions that they have. But also with Warren, like you look at their second unit and you got Hauser, O'Shea Brissett maybe, Jordan Walsh, Peyton Pritchard. Of those three guys, like you don't really expect them to be big like on-ball creators. And I think the difference between Warren um, and Stevens is that if you got your two wings out, Tatum and Brown, they come out. Warren is like the only other guy off the bench who's going to be able to create for himself, you know, get his own looks, um, and maybe get others some looks um, on the wing as well. Certainly, Jordan Walsh as a rookie not going to be able to do that. O'Shea Brissett, he he showed a little bit of it in Indy. Um, I loved his game, and every time he played Boston, just killed us. So maybe there's a little bit of an overlap between him and, and Warren. But, again, I think you guys all hit on really good points there. Um, but I, I like Blake Griffin. I'd like to see him bring back Blake. Him and JT get along really well. Um, you know, you mentioned Bruce Brown being a dog, man. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's a dog, too. So I, I'd like to get him back, but certainly those two would contribute a little bit more. Um, any final thoughts on what the Celtics should do or what they have done? All right. Let's move on to the Mavericks. The Mavericks waived JaVale McGee a few weeks ago. Um, what happened here is, you know, they've got the kid from Duke coming in. Um, certainly going to try to contribute right away. Um, but Dallas doesn't really have a true big after they got rid of Christian Wood. So it makes me wonder if they're still going to fill out their roster a little bit more. Um, Dallas, you know, it's a little bit of a landscape overview. They're about $8 million under the tax right now. And a team like Dallas with Luka Doncic on their roster, they want to compete in the West. They probably need to be in the tax. Uh, they still have the full biannual exception. Um, and I think two-thirds or a third of the, the mid-level exception as well. So, you know, I think they've got s- some spending to do. Um, but we'll see what happens with them. As for JaVale, he goes to Sacramento on a $3.2 million deal, and they beef up their big man rotation. It'll probably be him and Alex Lynn behind Sabonis there in the big man rotation. Tanner, I'm sure, you know, of the NBA you did watch in the playoffs last year, I'm sure that Warriors-King series um, was probably one of the main ones. And uh, the Kings, you know, Alex Lynn came in and played meaningful minutes, but if you could talk a little bit about what you think JaVale might bring to that uh, big man rotation for Sacramento. Yeah, I actually really like it because – JaVale McGee, I mean, he, he's not in his prime, right? Like, he, he, I think that's pretty obvious, and, and everybody knows that. But he, he's a veteran big. He's He's been on championship teams before, so I feel like he's a veteran presence that's very important for, you know, a, a Kings team that's, you know, kind of on the rise but really hasn't had that success yet. And so I think if you're the Kings, you're looking for any ounce of veteran presence possible that's that's been on championship teams, and they get that. Plus, I mean, he's he's a good rebounder. You know, he, he's a pretty solid defender, and, and, and I think that's basically in the NBA, I think 
backup bigs, that's kind of what you're looking for, right? You're looking for guys that can rebound the ball, uh, protect the rim, and guys that have, you know are veterans and have been there and done that. So I do like that deal for Sacramento. Um, I love JaVale, JaVale McGee. I think he's hilarious. So, um, you know, basketball aside, I, I just I like seeing what JaVale McGee's up to. And he's on a pretty fun Sacramento Kings team. And, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I like it a lot for them. Um, as far as the Mavericks go, I just wanted to bring up a quick point that I've kind of thought about. I feel like with having Kyrie and Luka, they don't necessarily need to have, like, a dominant big. I think that's a team that can get away with playing small ball. And you look at the year before, Dwight Powell was the starter, right? And they made it to the Western Conference Finals. So now you expect Dwight Powell to probably be the starter again, right? Like, And I just think that's such a good fit with, with, with the Mavs because you got two ball-dominant guards in Kyrie and Luka who are going to want to come off ball screens, and they want to be the ones to create. And I think Dwight Powell kind of fits that on the offensive end. He's going to set screens. He's going to roll. He's athletic. I mean, you can lob him alley-oops. He'll... He'll go dunk it over someone, and and I I'm pretty sure he's he's a good defender if if I'm not mistaken, and and like I said, rebounds the ball. I think Dwight Powell's, in my opinion, just fits what the Mavs have like the rest of the roster, like and I don't I just I don't know I don't think they really needed to do much in 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 you know at center, and I'm okay with Dwight Powell for the Mavs. So, yeah, I did forget to mention they do still have Maxi Kleba too. I always forget about him and. He's a he's a big uh, that can space the floor a little bit. He's got a good shot. Yeah. Certainly, that game winner against the Lakers. I'm sure Jesus remembers that. Um, so stupid. <laughs> I remember talking to one of my coworkers the next day. Uh, he's got a son who worked for the Lakers at the time. Uh, just livid with Anthony Davis after that shot. Maxi uh, Kleber, Lakers killer at this point. So we'll see what he's uh, bringing to the table next year alongside Dwight Powell. Uh, Andy, our guy Terrence Davis still not on the team. What is that about? I, I don't know, Kevin. You should probably call some teams up. I'd like to see the Celtics go after him instead of T.J. Warren or Lamar Stevens, man. He was good in that series against the, the Warriors. He can shoot it. He can. I mean, your social media presence should have helped him get a contract, but <laughs> he's been campaigning that for, for, since we started the podcast, but... I think I'm just upset that he got on a team before, or that he got hasn't got on a team before Thomas Bryant did. I think that was what I was. Upset Thomas about. Bryant was a day one signing. <laughs> <laughs> the minute he won the ring with the Nuggets, he was getting signed. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens there. Uh, he's used the Lakers just a few nights ago. They signed Christian Wood, and we've talked about it a little bit. I know you're not a huge fan of it, and I wasn't at first. I've done a lot of thinking about it. It's a minimum deal. And certainly for the the contract, I think it's a good get for the Lakers. Um, I think the main question now is how they're going to use him. There's talk about, you know, Anthony Davis doesn't want to play the five. Christian Wood gets brought in, but now they're saying he's going to come off the bench and Rhi Hachimura is going to start. If you're the Lakers, Jesus, what would you like to see them do? Um, Probably put Anthony Davis – out the five, and then just try to experiment with either Jackson Hayes or Christian Wood or just try to find something else for Anthony Davis to do because I feel like Anthony Davis just doesn't want to play center either way. So I I think they're going to make it work. And I and like you said, like the more I thought about it, the more I liked it, especially because it's only like $5.4 million with like, I think it's a player option the second year. 
Yeah, the player option, that. I, that's going to end up being more like a no-trade clause. I mean, certainly nobody's going to want to go get Christian Wood with the numbers he's going to be putting up. Like, you're not going to be able to move him with the player option, so. Yeah. And he averaged, like, 16-6, and six, so for, like, $5.4 million, that's not bad, so. Kind of am excited to see how he's going to play this year, but I definitely don't know how these rotations are going to work. I feel like they're just going to do something crazy for the first couple games and then try to see what works and what doesn't work. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, in terms of keeping AD happy and healthy, which probably are hand-in-hand, I think the best move for them would be to put AD at the four, but if you go back and you watch what they did in the playoffs, like they were at their best when he was at the five and they rolled out you know, Reeves at the two, and Hachimura at the three, or him and LeBron, you know, flip-flopping however they need to. Um, the other the other interesting piece about the Lakers, I think, is they still haven't really made a definite decision about D'Angelo Russell and Gabe Vincent. Um, so, you, like, your second unit could certainly end up being, like, D'Angelo Russell and, you know, Christian Wood at the five. Like, that's a, that's going to be a solid pairing. I think if you, if you really want to prioritize maximizing your second unit, you put Gabe Gabe Vincent in with the starters. I think he's probably less of a scorer than D'Lo, um, but he's going to make sure LeBron gets good looks, the AD gets good looks. Um, it, it's, it was a weird signing, I thought at the time, but you know, like we've talked about, time went on, made more sense. Um, Tanner, what do you think LeBron thinks of the signing? Um, I had I to know. ask. I, I've always thought like the Lakers front office kind of hurts themselves, right? Because I think that whether or not Anthony Davis wants to play the four, the five, like I think they should force him to play the five, because when you look at the Lakers' problems in in the LeBron era, is I mean they've gone through a couple coaches now. Like it's not the coaching. I I think it's the roster that they put around LeBron and Anthony Davis just doesn't work. Like it doesn't schematically like how they like. I just don't think the players they put around LeBron and Anthony Davis fit them. Like, if I were the Lakers, I'd be getting as many guys as possible that could just shoot the lights out, right? Like, Anthony Davis is a stretch five. He's an absolute problem to deal with, matchup problem. And you have LeBron, who is LeBron. Like, everybody knows what LeBron's going to do. So I've always thought just surround them with shooters, and it would just be like – it would be a nightmare to go up against every night. And I just think the Lakers – I don't know. I don't know what their philosophy is, but – I feel like they need guys that are going to space the floor more and give LeBron more lanes, you know, and, and, and that fit in with Anthony Davis and LeBron. I think Anthony Davis at the four just doesn't really work. And, and I like the Gabe Vincent signing because I do think he is one of those players that can space the floor. He's going to hit threes. You know, he's going to play pretty good defense. Like, so I've always, you know, it's not necessarily about LeBron. It's, a, it's, it's more so about what they're surrounding him with, I feel like. And that's always that's always been my issue with the Lakers, is I just don't think they're doing what they should be to get the most, you know, out of. The, they're not getting the guys that they can get the most out of, in, in their role players, you know, like they could do a lot better in terms of just, you know, filling filling around a roster and building around LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, yeah, as much as I've gone back and forth about the signing, you know, one conclusion I have drawn is that in today's NBA, if like. Anthony Davis isn't a great shooter, right? Like, if, if you need him to take a shot, he can hit a shot. But in today's NBA, you need as many guys out there that can hit shots as possible, right? Like, you look at the Nets, and they've got, they're trying to roll out lineups with Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton. Like, those are two guys who are just non factors 
from without, like outside 15 feet. So if there's going to be a five, a big man that you want to put at the five with AD at the four, a guy like Christian Wood does fit pretty well. He can shoot it a little bit. And certainly, like, you can rotate him and AD, you know, in and out of the paint. Um, and th- that could, you know, produce some trouble for a lot of teams. Um, but I-, I do think you're right. I think you need to put AD at the five, and you do need to continue to just try to maximize building around LeBron and AD. Um, and I do think – I think Rob Palenka probably thinks that he's built a super team going out and getting Gabe, Gabe Vincent and uh, and Christian Wood. God, I keep, I keep wanting to call Gabe Vincent Gabe Davis. That's how close to football we are right now. But I, I do think Rob Flinka thinks he's done just such a great job. And I don't know. I'm not sold, like I've said before. I know Jesus is probably excited for him to win the NBA Finals, but I, I personally am not sold. Um, I want to move on to the, the Philadelphia 76ers. And for the first time in months, we have some Sixers news not related to James Harden. Just a few nights ago, they signed free agent Danny Green, uh, who was last with Cleveland. And this is a funny one to me. I texted our, our good friend AJ after this one. Danny Green was in the deal last offseason that brought DeAnthony Melton from Memphis over to Philly, right, which at the time I knew was great. DeAnthony Melton is a great player to have. Um, and it was kind of mind-boggling on the Grizzlies' end because, you know, they go out and they get Luke Kennard, who is a similar player to Danny Green. And they already had John Conchar, who also is a similar player to Danny Green. And, you know, Danny Green never ended up seeing any meaningful minutes. Obviously, he was battling injuries. And then he gets traded to Cleveland at the deadline and then doesn't get re-signed. And it's a full circle moment for him. He's back in Philly, obviously, with some history there and Embiid. Uh, Tanner, just besides James Harden and what's going on in Philly, is there any move you see – that they could make at this point that would, you know, seriously catapult them into contender status with Milwaukee, Miami, and Boston. I mean, not, I mean, right. Like you, you look at their roster and, and if you say aside from James Harden and the players that they're paying, like it's going to be hard for them to make moves. Like they're paying Joel. It's tricky. Paying so like it, it, it is very tricky for sure. I, I just, I don't necessarily like, you look at the Sixers and it's like on paper they have everything they need, right? Like they have the MVP, MVP, and then they have James Harden who obviously can go get buckets. You know, you got Shake Milton, guys like that. It's like it's just very – it's very hard for me to see what they could possibly do to get better on paper. And and, and I, I, I really – I have no answers for what is, is right other than maybe just shipping out James Harden which, you know, is going to be hard because James Harden's not not fun to deal with in terms of, you know, negotiations and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I, I really have no answers. Um, I've always thought the Sixers are, are one of those teams that they're really good, but I, I just – I don't see them winning a championship. I just don't at all. And for whatever reason, I'm not a believer in Joel Embiid in terms of, like, winning a championship. I do think he's a great player. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for trying to find, you know, something for Philly to do. So when you talk about getting over the hump to me, Philly's one of those teams, but Philly's hump is like three times higher than every other team who's trying to win a championship. It just, it's crazy watching them fail over and over again. Uh, do you think, you think Embiid stays in Philly long-term following all this drama? Man, I don't know. Uh, cause like, 
I feel like in today's NBA, there's just really not much loyalty um, on the player front to their franchise, you know, that brought him in. Like, you look at Dame, like, he's probably the most loyal player in the NBA, and he's already had enough. Like, he's at that point where, like, I've had enough. I think eventually we'll see a very similar thing with Joel Embiid. Uh, so, no, I don't. I don't think he'll be there long term. I think Joel Embiid, you know, when you look towards the end of his contract, when the, when they're there, he's going to be in a situation where, like, man, like, I haven't won a ring. Like, I need to win a ring. I need to do what's best for me. I need to go chase a ring. I think that's what will end up happening with Joel Embiid. Um, you know, Philly's a great sports town, so, like, for the sake of their fans, like, I hope not. You know, like, I hope they do get a championship. I hope Joel Embiid does get a championship. I, I just don't see it happening, and... Like I said, loyalty is just really not a thing anymore in the NBA. Like, Joel Embiid's going to be gone, in my opinion, long term. So, yeah, yeah, and I almost I would agree with you, and I'd say that eventually I could see him going somewhere. I'm not going to say Boston. All right, I could see him That's going not, somewhere. <laughs> listen, listen. No, way. we've got the assets. All right, but I do see him if he does go somewhere else. I could see him going somewhere where you know there's less pressure, and he could potentially. You know, be a number two option instead of a number one. You look at their success against Boston in the playoffs last year. Their best games were when James Harden was going for 40 and Embiid was just throwing in a nice 22, you know, 18 to 22 points. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him. I don't think there's a single certainty surrounding anything in his career right now, you know, from which team he's going to play for in the Olympics next year to what's going on in Philly. Um, you just never know with him. He's a very polarizing very polarizing player. Uh, moving on from actual NBA news, we're going to transition a little bit to FIBA here before we go. Like we talked about, the finals are set. We have Serbia and Germany, and the bronze medal game will be U.S. and Canada. In that Canada-Slovenia game in the quarterfinals, we saw two of the best players, probably the two best players in the FIBA tournament, in Luka and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And if there's one takeaway from this, I think it's, that Shea may be closer to Luca than a lot of people think. Andy, you you really like Shea as a player, which you know we've all talked about on this pod before. But what do you think it is that has recently made him so much better um, and has allowed his game to grow on the offensive end? I think it's just he's always been pretty good from the mid range. He's kind of been like he's like KD like almost from mid range, but I think he's shooting more from the three now, and it's just he's becoming more of a leader. He was pretty. With the OKC team, he was just kind of the young star that didn't really have a lot of talent, like didn't talk talent around him. But now he kind of has assumed the leader role, especially with the Canada team. He kind of is their de facto team captain. So I feel like just him being more mature and not taking away sh- taking shots that shouldn't be taken. I think he's just gonna get better and better. And this World Cup run has proved that he took them to the same semifinals, almost took them to the finals. So. I think he's going to get better with this. Yeah, I think with Shea, like, he's perpetually in that like 10 to 15 range in terms of where player, people are ranking him. Um, and yeah, he was getting the most hype last season as the season progressed. And now like Ant's kind of uh, assumed that role. Um, and you just watch this tournament, and it really makes you reflect on you know the gap between Shea and those younger guys like Ant, you know, the mellow ball. Even Tyrese Halliburton, right? Like, I love Halley. Man, like, Shea is up there with the superstars of this league now, and it's really hard to deny it, uh, even though he's on the Thunder, and they're getting more options. So we'll see 
how he does this year. Uh, the other player from this tournament, unfortunately, that we need to discuss, and it'll feed into our trivia a little bit. Jesus, I'm going to defer to you on this one. Jaron Jackson Jr. may have had the worst tournament of anybody on Team USA, consistently fouling out, not rebounding, not scoring. And you saw him in the playoffs last year against the Lakers. You know, other aside from just not fouling, like, what is it about his game that he needs to improve the most? I, I just feel like it's his confidence is just not there. Because, like you said, for me, whenever I think about Jaron Jackson, I just think about either defense player of the year or just that foul machine. So I feel like he's just probably just so in his head that he just he needs just to find that, that little spark inside and just work on his, his confidence because it's clearly not there. I, I, ne- I rarely saw it during the, the playoffs at all, so. I feel like it's just confidence at this point. And it kind of, to me, it kind of feeds into what we talked about with AD. When you look at Jaron Jackson in Memphis, they usually run him at the four, right? They have the luxury of having Steven Adams um, alongside him. And even when Adams was hurt, Xavier Tillman came in and gave them good minutes. How much of it is just the transition from, you know, being a top two guy on the team in the four, you know, to a bit of a, a new role for him on Team USA, would you say, Jesus? I'd have to get back to you on that. I don't want to... Tanner, any thoughts? I Jaron Jackson shouldn't have been defensive player of the year in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love the hot takes here. <laughs> Were his blocks his block stats being inflated, do you think? Yes, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. I love it. I love it. Well that's actually what our trivia oh I almost forgot. We need to go over who our uh our pre tournament picks other than the USA were I know mine was Australia. Jesus, who was yours? Was yours Germany? I think so. I'm pretty sure yeah, it was, was Germany. With the Germany pick. And hey, Andy, what was yours? I don't even remember, but it was not Germany for sure. <laughs> the Germany poll was really good, Jesus. I'm going to give you credit on that. And that was, I think that was right after they had played the exhibition game with the U.S. It was Dennis. Dennis is a dog. Big Dennis fan. But yeah, our trivia tonight, it does feed into Jaron Jackson. All right. Obviously... Jaron Jackson won Defensive Player of the Year last year, but he also led the league in fouls per game. So here's my question for you. In the last 30 years, dating back to 1993, only once has a former or future depoy led the league in fouls per game. Who was it? Bonus, if you can get the year, they led the league in fouls, right? So it's not like the Jaron Jackson situation. They happen in different years, Okay. Any guesses? It is a big man. I'll give you that hint. Uh, I, was, I, I think I might have a guess. I could be totally wrong on this. I don't. I don't think I could guess the year, but a player that won Defensive Player of the Year that just seems like a big, like Fowler guy, is Joe Kim Noah. That's a great guess. That is a great guess. It's not our answer, but I love the Joe Kim Noah guess. I when I was looking up the stat. He's actually one of the guys I was, like, targeting. Mm-hmm. But it's not joking, Noah. This happened before 2005. I'm going to cut it in half for you. I think I think I have a guess, too. I think I know Rodman won, won a defensive player of the year. And just looking at him, he seems like a dude who probably fouls a lot. So maybe it's not Rodman. Rodman. That's a great guess as well. It's not Rodman. Jesus, you got a guess? Dikembe? Dikembe? Dikembe Mutombo? Yeah. That's a good guess as well. It was very close to the time Mutombo won it. This player 
He was a big man in the Eastern Conference. You guys, it's probably going to give it away. He did play for the Miami Heat. Alonzo. Alonzo, yeah. It is Alonzo Morning. yeah. 1997 is the year that he led the league um, in fouls per game. I do believe that he won Defensive Player of the Year twice. But, you know, I just couldn't believe that. You know, you talk about how hard it is. Obviously, he won Defensive Player of the Year, but he didn't lead the league in fouls per game that year. Jaron Jackson just did both in the same year. Like, to give a little bit of a reference to that and how hard that is to do. So, he definitely has some flaws in his game at the moment. Um, other than that, any final thoughts on what we've talked about? I don't think we have anything else on the schedule to talk about tonight. Nope. Well, Tanner, we enjoyed having you on. Uh, what can we look for uh, in the future with Backyard Banter here? Um, just continuing to be consistent, uh, you know, talking about what we're talking about. MLB is obviously a big topic right now. Football getting getting started is a big topic. Uh, do have some guests, I think, that we're – trying to line up right now i don't want to make any like guarantees but we'll definitely uh trying to get an nfl agent on in the near future and then um the rays play-by-play announcer i think is going to get on once the playoffs come around for the mlb so got some guests lined up working on some more no guarantees on it though can't really tell you when it'll happen but yeah so exciting times over at backyard banter that's great. Well, we certainly enjoy listening in and watching you, uh, James and Johnny, obviously. Uh, we wish them well. We wish you guys good luck with everything you're doing. Um, as for us, I believe we will be back here um, in two weeks. I think we're going to try to do at least two more pods before the regular season starts, um, get close to 10 episodes, and we'll be starting a whole new format for the podcast once the regular season starts, and we're looking forward to that. So thank you for joining in with us tonight, and we will see you next time.